who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Realm presents Dark Heights Season 2. Episode 2. Tess. A narrow stairwell took me down into the corridors beneath the mansion. The door at the top shut itself behind me with a click. Lightless, I descended, unsure of myself. Then automatic fluorescence sputtered to life below. I came out of the stairs into a long hallway crossed by other corridors, still dark. I summoned some courage. Terrifying basement labyrinth, not going to get lost in you. I recalled the directions I'd been given. Left, straight, left, then right. Into and out of the maze, where the hallway dead-ended at a scuffed, rusting metal door. Overhead, another light came on, off, then on again. The metal door unlatched itself and swung open slowly. Damp air from the room beyond flowed out invisibly, smelling of chemicals, antiseptics, sterilization. I didn't want to go in, but I'd chosen to do this. I had to do this. They didn't really want me down here, which made it the one place I needed to go. I went into the room. It was empty except for one lone metal chair positioned in the dead center, facing the far wall, which had windows across it, set halfway up from the floor. The drop ceiling was low, pressing down, its square tiles warped and stained. I stood behind the chair, gripped its back with my hands. Nothing in the world was going to make me sit in it. There was a darkened chamber on the other side of the viewing windows. I made out dim shapes and outlines, but I couldn't tell what anything was. I didn't know what I was about to witness. I knew I wasn't ready for it, whatever was going on in this awful place. 
I'd only just found out about this dungeon underneath Arson. I'd been here a week already, a week of long, strange, empty days after everything that had happened at nightfall, and in all that time, I hadn't seen a soul other than the mansion's staff. Not Lina, not Will, not Marius Severand. Then, one of the staff had knocked on the door of my second-floor bedroom. Mr. Severand requests that you attend to him presently. I was escorted from the bedroom to the first floor, then down the hallway past the kitchen, shown into the library. All the late afternoon sunlight through the tall windows filled the library with motes of dust that drifted up to the high vaulted ceiling. I saw that Marius was seated with his back to the entrance in exactly the same chair and same desk where Will had been when Lina had brought me here to meet him at the beginning of everything. Marius stood up and turned around slowly. In one hand, he held a book. The staff member who had walked me here from my bedroom remained in the doorway of the library, lurking. I was never going to get used to their presence. No matter where I went in arson, someone was always close at hand, to cater to my needs. Or so I'd been told. You look as if you're feeling better, Marius said. I'd feel better if Kismet hadn't tried to kill me. Why don't you have a seat so we can talk? Marius gestured to the chair facing his own, and I sat down, but I was immediately uncomfortable. There was nowhere to put my hands except folded on my lap, making me feel like a compliant student facing a dressing down from a stern school principal. Marius wasted no time. You've done well here, Tess. Your recovery from injury and from the trauma of all that happened that night is nearly complete. Thank you. I wasn't sure what to say to him. Let me go home. Please, let me leave this place now. It's been a week already. You're probably aware that I'm going insane. He responded as if he'd read my mind. Probably there wasn't an as-if about it. I brought you here to discuss the next step for you. Okay. It's a question we need to ask together. What are you going to do with the rest of your life in our service? My breath caught in my throat. What did you just say? I'm sure you've already guessed that you can never go back, but it needs to be said aloud to cement your understanding and eventual acceptance. Your old life, Tess, everything that you were before this, all of it, over. I whispered, no, please, no. I'm not susceptible to begging, Tess. Just let me go. I don't know anything. I would never say anything. That's not how this works. Your reality has changed. You're now part of what we are. I know it wasn't your choice. Sometimes there isn't a choice. Making me a prisoner here is a choice. Listen to me. Kismet did try to kill you that night, which I don't approve of, but her rash action uncovered something important. You're under protection. It's called an Aegis, a Watcher's Aegis. He smiled, the thin edge of something close to humor. She thinks I gave it to you, which is absurd. Not one of us has given away an Aegis without the sanction of the others, not for millennia. I don't understand. You're valuable to us, Tess. 
one of us has seen fit to make it so. He smiled inhumanly again. I don't want you out of my sight until I can trust you. Just then, I thought I could see Marius the way I'd seen him that night, standing on the stairs above me, a storm of sharp, dark shapes pressing into him from all sides, pushed back by his strength. He turned the book he was holding over and over in his hands before speaking again. Of course, there is a way out. If you want to, you may kill yourself. The tears I'd been holding back spilled out, one by one. Your suicide would be an acceptable outcome. However, if you want to live, and I assume that you do, we've come to understand over time that our servitors need to work toward something. Labor, in general, is efficacious in and of itself, but fulfillment through labor seems to be a defining characteristic for many of you. I wish I'd shown my anger. I wish I'd vaulted out of the chair, and I wish I'd screamed into his face. All I did was hang my head, looking down at the floor. I don't know. You don't know if you want to live, or you don't know what you want to do for work. I have some ideas. There's a hospital on the arson grounds, not close to the mansion, but at a significant remove for privacy. It's a hospital for expectant mothers. I lifted my eyes from the floor and met his. They were as dark and implacable as ever, like all the eyes of the Watchers. I believe you could find a place there, at the hospital to do some good. Suddenly, I'd had enough. Where is Lina? Marius paused, considering his answer. My hands were shaking. I couldn't stop myself from blurting out, what are you doing to her? Lina is subject to our judgment. What does that even mean? She's being punished for her recklessness. I want to see her. No, you don't. Take me to see her. It's not a good idea. I don't care. Isn't she responsible for you being here? You must despise her. I'm not the only prisoner here. Marius was gauging the strength of my defiance. I could have sworn he looked impressed. Yet it still felt like his decision was more or less random, or that it was beneath him to care much about it. Very well. She's being held in the sub-levels. I'll have someone on the staff show you where the door is and give you directions to her. Finally, I stood up from the chair. Am I dismissed? Marius nodded. As I turned to go, he asked one more question. Do you know why Kismet gave you the Euroboros? Involuntarily, my right hand strayed to the bracelet where it was clasped onto my left arm, halfway between my wrist and elbow. I hadn't been able to take it off. As if it had a mind of its own, sometimes it tightened painfully, and sometimes it felt as if it relaxed and shifted down my arm. It's an ancient artifact, Marius said. The symbol of a servitor exalt. Long ago, it was meant to represent the bond of commitment and sacrifice between a watcher and her slave. I fled the library walking as quickly as I could, trying not to break into a run. It didn't take long for one of Arson's staff to find me and ask if I was ready to be shown Lina's location. No, 
Of course I wasn't ready. Not ready for any of this. I wasn't keeping up. A week already since nightfall, and I was having trouble separating out the days. I slept long hours, sometimes waking in the middle of the night or in the afternoon. The kitchens in the mansion were always fully stocked, and I was famished after the endless sleeps. I sat by myself at whatever strange hour it was, wolfing down roast beef sandwiches, the best I'd ever tasted, pouring myself multiple glasses of milk from an ice-cold pitcher. Then I wandered, through the mansion, out on the grounds. I had no direction. I had nothing to do. The mansion was empty except for me and the staff. I had glimpses of them, ghost-like, in and out of rooms, hurrying down a hallway, turning out of sight. But I knew they were always there, ahead of me in every room, behind me wherever I went. I wasn't injured anymore, but I hadn't entirely healed either. I walked slowly, with a hitch in my step from a weakness around my left ankle. It didn't hurt, I just couldn't put my whole weight on it yet. The car crash. Zack. Zack was dead. And before that, in the woods. When I tried to think about all that had happened, a nausea came over me. I couldn't move. Sweat broke out all over my body. I was racked with shivers. Push through it, Tess. Remember it. Nightfall. At the end, in the ritual procession, I moved through the gathering of the Watcher's servitors. I was hurt. I wasn't myself. But in that heightened state, in my pain and confusion and panic, I was able to see the Watchers for what they were. And everyone there saw what I saw, through me, through the ceremony. That shared vision of the Watchers was a reward for their worship, their service, a glimpse of immortality, of power greater than human existence. I went up to them, Will and Marius and Lina, where they waited on the landing above me. Everything was hazy. Will stepped down and took my hand to help me up the last few steps. I clung to his arm, moving with him into a room on the second floor. The fireplace was roaring. Gently, Will led me outside to a balcony that overlooked the estate. Below us, the crowd of servitors waited, all those faces looking up. I don't know if I was under my own volition or not, but suddenly I was raising up my arms. I held them up, my hands above me, fingers splayed out, a dancer's final frozen position in the performance. Below me, the crowd was silent. Marius spoke, his voice carrying down to them. The Sino Shore is complete. Will sprang into motion to catch me when I fell. She's not done yet, Marius said. There's something we need to do. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every Factor meal is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, it's less expensive than takeout, which honestly was my go-to when I just couldn't or didn't have time to cook a proper meal. So whether you're hoping to cut down on spending, being more intentional with your meals, or just want to save time, 
Factor can help you get after your goals. Besides their meals, which I have to say, everyone has been delicious, they also have more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled and feeling good all day, like breakfast and midday bites. They've even got fresh-pressed juices and protein shakes, and I've really enjoyed their variety pack of wellness shots. I love anything with ginger and cayenne. Factor is also flexible with their plans, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash darkheights50 and use code darkheights50 to get 50% off. That's code darkheights50 at factormeals.com slash darkheights50 to get 50% off. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Immediately, I came awake. It was startling. The pain in my body was gone. I felt warm. I understood that Marius had done that to me. He'd restored me, healed me, with a thought. Everything that happened after that was dreamlike. I went with Marius and Lina and Will. We got into one of their cars. Hank was driving. I met his eyes in the rearview mirror, saw his brief look of worry quickly suppressed. Hank had cuts on his face, a fresh black eye. The trees moved past us. I may have fainted again. Then I was conscious. Will had opened the passenger door of the car. He helped me out. We were at the crash site. I leaned on Will, and Lina stood next to me. There was Zack's Ford Taurus, crumpled. The Mercedes was closer to us, shattered and upside down. I saw a body lying on the ground. My God, Zack, no, I don't want to see. But it wasn't Zack. There was the creamsicle orange bomber jacket. Some of it ripped into shreds that trailed across the asphalt. It was the body of the man from the woods. Marius was addressing Lina. You helped your friend, didn't you? Lina nodded. When she was attacked, you entered the man's mind. I remembered. 
I had seen it. Lina had been there, the apparition of her like some kind of monstrous spider wrapped around the man in the woods, right before I stabbed him to death. The warlock taught you how to do that? Yes, Lina said. Marius shook his head as if he was disgusted. Regardless, we need this to make sense to the authorities. There needs to be a story. Will, join me here. Father and son stood close together. Marius lifted one hand, then Will did the same. Right in front of my eyes, the body of the man from the woods rose up in the air. Good, Marius said to Will. That's well done. I watched. Something slashed into it, the body, from all sides at once. It was a grisly display. I looked away, but I could hear the sound of the impacts as the body was torn, broken, mangled on purpose. Then quiet fell. I looked back. Marius gestured, Will did the same, and the body floated across the road. Finally, Marius twisted his hand into a fist, and the body folded itself into what was left of the driver's seat of the wrecked Mercedes. I turned away, lurched back to Hank's car. He came out of it, toward me. I passed out onto him. I woke up much later, opening my eyes very slowly. Warm, butter-colored afternoon light poured through a shuttered window into a richly decorated, lavish bedroom. My room. The bed was a deep, luxurious four-poster with a canopy. All the furniture in the room was antique. It was absurd. It was like I'd just woken up into an historical romance. Were they going to fit me into a corset, a petticoat, introduce me to my suitors? At that moment... This really felt possible. There was a woman in the room, seated in a rocking chair by the window. I didn't even notice her presence until, seeing me awake, she rose from the chair and moved closer, coming into the wash of warm light from the window. She was dark-haired like Kismet. The resemblance was unmistakable, but there was something softer about her features. Maybe she was the nice one. And, as if she was dressed to match the bedroom, she was wearing clothes from another century. Was it a frock and a petticoat? I wasn't up on my Jane Austen. She said, My name is Tenebrae. I am a watcher, like Marius and Kismet. How are you feeling? Like ass, I croaked. Her demeanor was soothingly calm. You don't have to get out of bed. Everything has been taken care of. You're here to rest. The watcher busied herself at a sideboard, putting things onto a tray, which she brought to me. Sit up. You need to eat something. Drink some water. I tucked into the food on the tray, toast with peanut butter. The water in the glass was cold, and it seemed to bring everything inside of me back to life as it went down. Tenebrae watched me eat. There was a streak of pure white in her long, dark hair. Then she said, I spoke to your mother. What? Your mother knows that you are fine, that you're under our care. She won't be worrying. Why did you do that? In fact, I arranged for some help for her while you're staying with us at Orson. Your mother's house was cleaned quite thoroughly yesterday, and there's a standing order now at the green machine for weekly deliveries. 
She saw the look on my face. I spoke to Mona as well. They're not expecting you back to work anytime soon. Tenebrae came to the side of the bed and stood over me. She reached out and brushed her fingertips into my hair. A shiver passed through my body. She had separated a lock of hair from the rest, and she held it tightly in a fist. My sister is right. You're very sweet. She let go of my hair and moved away from the bed. I hope you understand that you are most welcome here. The staff is at your disposal. Myself, I'm needed elsewhere. There's a shadow flood to prepare. At the bedroom door, she stopped. When you're ready, Will Severand wants to see you. I felt a surge of rage at the sound of his name. What if I'm never ready? Tenebrae the Watcher shrugged innocently. There's nothing wrong with playing hard to get. That's not what... I started to say, but she was gone. I did not see her again until I went down into that place beneath the mansion, looking for Lina. Whatever was on the other side of the viewing windows was unlit, until suddenly it wasn't. All at once, the lights came on. The chamber on the other side was much larger than the one I stood in. There was a single frame caught against one wall. A thin beige sheet slumped down from the mattress to the green tiled floor. There was a metal toilet, a metal cabinet, and a metal table arrayed with medical equipment. Machines that you'd see in a hospital. Life sign monitors, blood oxygen monitors, a crash cart with a defibrillator. Then, laid out on a wheeled tray, needles. Lina was there, in this institutional cell, on the other side of the glass. Down on her knees, in the middle of the floor where the green tiles had been cut out for a drain. She was visibly shivering in the cold. All she wore was a white slip. At least they'd allowed her that much. It hung damply on the straps from her narrow shoulders. I didn't know if she could see me through the glass. Maybe it was a one-way mirror. Her vision was fixed on something far away. Two men in medical scrubs were moving about the room with total disregard for Lina's existence. One of them prepped a needle, drawing from a tiny vial of clear liquid. The other one went to the metal cabinet. He pulled out rope, a harness of some kind, like something for an animal. Then he took out chains. Now I saw that iron rings were set into the floor around the drain. They filled a bucket with water. One of them heaved it, and the water struck Lina's face and drenched her entirely. Lina lifted her head up. The needle went into her neck. Her body went limp. With her head hanging down, her lank hair fell like a curtain, trailing water that dripped onto the tiles, draining. The men tied her arms back and fastened the harness down across her upper body, pulling its straps tight. The chains went from clips on the harness to the rings in the floor. I was no longer alone in the viewing room. Tenebrae was watching me watch Lina. You don't belong here, she said. You're not strong enough for this. I held my head high as the watcher came around me. There was nothing I could say to her. 
I tried to return her black, flat glare with all the defiance I could muster. You know what we're doing here, don't you? We have to flay her. I was holding my breath. We have to take every last sliver of power out of the very essence of who and what she is. It's incredibly painful. Tenebrae moved toward the viewing window. She brought this on herself, knowingly consorting with a warlock. Her father is so disappointed in her, but that's nothing new. If it makes you feel better, Tess, I think there's a part of Lina that enjoys being punished. It's what she understands. Then Tenebrae walked through the wall, through the window and the wall as if they didn't exist and into the next room. The men who'd been working in there making preparations scurried toward a door I hadn't seen and rushed out of the room. The Watcher took Lina by the chain and yanked up her head. Lina's eyes rolled, unfocused and unseeing. Tainted thing. Lina made a low sound, a moaning exhalation. You disgust me. Your weakness. This insignificant power you thought you were learning all for yourself. Desperate. Just so desperate to be loved. But who could love what you are? Tenebrae kept her grip on Lina's jaw, moving around to position herself behind. Then she had one hand on either side of Lina's head, holding it up. And now you'll burn. Lina screamed. All at once, the Euroboros on my arm began to move. The sound of the scream ripped out of Lina's throat, made my knees buckle, and I dropped down onto the chair. The bracelet bit into the skin of my arm, burning, then cold as ice. Lina thrashed as if electrocuted. Blood spattered from her nose, from her eyes. I fought to take in a breath. Her screaming didn't stop. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with Season 2 of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller, produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, 
Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.